Hello, everybody. Welcome to our latest episode of Buddha Pod. I know we've been sort of offline for a really long time now, but there are a few updates that I wanted to talk about. The first is Catherine, our lovely co-host, is actually now a nun. She is now Venerable Junian, and she won't have internet access for quite a few years. So I found another co-host. Uh, this is Burton from Australia. And let's have him introduce himself. Hello, my name is Burton. I'm from Australia. As you can see from Mike's accent, um, I am involved at the temple in Australia down at uh, Wollongong, so Nantian Temple. It's the largest temple in uh, the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, I've always had, I've always um, been at the temple and uh, ever since I was a little baby, my grandma would bring me there and I literally just grew up there. Pretty much venerables at the temple watched me grow up from when I was like three years old until now. Um, I'm really heavily involved in their youth group and um, that's essentially how I got into Buddhism. Um, in, other, in other words, I also am still studying. Um, I study journalism and um, yeah, that's me. So... Uh, is there anything else you wanted to know? Mm, no, that's a pretty comprehensive introduction. Um, thanks, Burton. So, when we were talking about what we wanted to do for the next season of Budapod, now that it's 2019, uh, we were talking about different themes and topics, and the one that we ended up deciding on was building up towards the land and water Dharma service. Uh, and that's because it's happening in Australia this year, right? Yeah, yeah, in March. Um, yeah, the land and water Dharma function, this huge Dharma service that travels the world. So um, it's a quite a rare opportunity that it is in Sydney. And uh, like the last time it was here, I think I was like 10 or something like that. And it was, it was I just even barely remember it today. Yeah, I actually was fortunate enough to experience it when it came to the U.S. Um, at Shilai Temple, I think in 2017. So it's pretty, still pretty fresh in my memory. So hopefully when we get to the later episodes, we can talk more in detail about this service. But before we go deeper into that, we have to start with the basics of Buddhism. And so when we thought about what the foundations are, we decided that the episode is going to be on the Four Noble Truths. Yeah, so uh, the Four Noble Truths is like the, the Buddha's very first teachings and uh, so much of the Buddhist philosophy and the Buddhist mindset, uh, you need to understand that and to understand that you need to understand the Four Noble Truths. And so the Four Noble Truths are that um, the li life is full of suffering. So uh, nature of the world is suffering. And then the second noble truth is that um, there is a cause to the suffering. So all, all, all forms of suffering, there is a cause and there's a reason for that. And then the third noble truth is that um, it is possible for this suffering to end. And then the, the final noble truth is that um, the end of this suffering is, the, is by following the uh, noble eightfold path. Yeah. And so... Uh, Andrew, could you take us through the f uh, uh, what the first noble truth is? 
so when we talk about the Four Noble Truths, um, sometimes it comes off as very depressing. Um, it seems very pessimistic. It seems like as soon as we start, we're going to talk about suffering and how it's everywhere in this world, in our lives. And I wanted to address this in the sense that, yes, life is a thing that has suffering. Suffering exists in our lives. It's a truth that we can't escape. But that doesn't mean that we have to be pessimistic about it. It's just a reality that we face. For example, nobody's life is completely perfect. There's always, at least for us as unawakened beings, we are always tormented by these little things that aren't quite satisfactory. So we have this dissatisfaction in life, and that is the cause for our suffering. That might be something that we're not happy about in our families, with our friends, in our relationship, in the workplace, or at school. Um, it could be something even as simple as not getting what we want. So there are a lot of different things that cause suffering in life, and so that is why the first noble truth is that the suffering exists. We have to, first off, recognize it and acknowledge it. The second one is that there is a cause for the suffering, and oftentimes we talk about this cause as being desire. If we use that example of wanting something and not being able to get it as a specific form of suffering, something uh, I like to use is the example of a child wanting ice cream. If you want the ice cream, you can't get the ice cream. There is the suffering. If you didn't want the ice cream, then that suffering wouldn't exist. You wouldn't really care if you got ice cream or not because you didn't want it. So for the third truth, that's the one where it says that we can end this suffering. Again, if we didn't want ice cream in the first place, it doesn't matter. So we can end that suffering. How we get to that, though, is the entirety of the practice. And then this is often described as the Eightfold Path. And that's a list that we can cover in a future episode. But it's essentially doing these practices, living the middle way so that we are able to lessen our desires and be able to live moderately. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> easier said than done, though. Very much easier said than done. Uh, so I think what's really helpful is whenever I hear about um, people who practice and the experiences that they have in their practice. So I wanted to ask you, Burton, how do you practice with the Four Noble Truths in mind? Like, how does it play a role in your life? Well, I think naturally I'm quite a pessimistic person, but uh, what the Four Noble Truths, at the heart of the Four Noble Truths is a diagnosis and a solution to a problem. So when I go through my life and I encounter uh, problems and dilemmas, for example, maybe I get a really bad mark on an exam or uh, someone close to me passes away, then I can use this framework as a way of understanding my pain, understanding my suffering. Because when you don't have a way of looking at things or looking at things the correct way, then you're often, you don't have an, uh, a, a, a rudder or a, a way to guide yourself. And so 
when you have the Four Noble Truths, you know that suffering will be there no matter what you do. And you know that there is a cause. And when you understand that cause, that suffering is lessened. And when you understand that there is a way out of this suffering, then that suffering is lessened. And so um, even step by step, even though you're not uh, even at the Fourth Noble Truth, which is the, 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 the Eightfold Path, you can... Through understanding, the right understanding, you can bring yourself to lessen this suffering. Um, what I find very uh, interesting, especially when I teach this to like younger children, is that, oh, they're like, oh, my life has no suffering. I go through my lives all very, very good. I get whatever I want. I go to school every day and it's great, right? But um, with this framework, you can even break it down to the smallest things like, like every kid will get sick, every kid will scrape their knee. And so... Um, it's a really good way of breaking the, even the smallest um, dilemmas down. And yeah, it's just very helpful. I really appreciate what you said about having this framework and especially right understanding. So that's a major part of the Eightfold Path. Having this understanding that suffering exists in life, discontentment exists in life. For me, this actually happened last week. I was on a plane and I was carrying one of my favorite tables uh, that I like to make matcha in. I got to the airport, I sent my luggage off, and when I landed, I took my luggage back. And when I opened it, I realized that instead of a bowl, there were a few shards left in there. The bowl had completely shattered. And for those of you who have me on social media, uh, you'll notice that I made a post about this, and I was actually pretty upset that night. But I was reflecting on it and I thought, when I got that bowl, it was a souvenir from Japan. And so it has a lot of sentimental value to me. But when I got that bowl, I knew that it was something created out of causes and conditions. There was a potter who had to put it together. There was someone who had to sell it to me. And it was all in all made of clay and some sort of glaze. And then it was fired. Now it's broken. And it can't serve the same functions as it did before. And because of that, it was in a state of suffering. But I also knew with right understanding that this is the reality of things. That bowl was never meant to last forever. It might have lasted another year, another two years, but eventually something would have happened. And even though it's not something that's really replaceable to me, it's going to disappear one day. I won't be able to use it forever. And it's not something that I can dwell on. So I appreciated the bowl. I really enjoyed using the bowl, but now I can't use it anymore. And that's ultimately a reality of life. And we can apply this not just to a bowl, but also things like when we lose a friend or a loved one, um, whether that's ending a relationship, someone passing away, so on and so forth. Before I broke my bowl, I used to use the example of me breaking my phone. Uh, one day, it was very sudden. I left it on my bed. I went to the restroom. I came back. My phone was a brick. It wouldn't turn on. I had no idea why. And it caused me quite a bit of inconvenience because of how much we use our phones nowadays. But at the same time, we also understand that all of these things in life are created through causes and conditions. Maybe some wire in my phone or some chip in my phone broke down. Without that one condition, the phone no longer worked. And that's a reality that I have to accept. I can either fix it, I don't have the skills to fix it, 
And so I have to accept it for what it is. Yeah, and I think your bold story also brings up notions of impermanence and how that plays into the Four Noble Truths. And I think what a lot of people don't understand, especially when they're in the depths of suffering and depression, is that they don't see a way out and they don't see an end. And so with impermanence and the ever-changing nature of suffering, that the more hindsight you have to that particular suffering, the less it may seem, or maybe even more, it depends. But I think the right understanding of impermanence and the nature of impermanence, then it gives a perspective on suffering that suffering will never stay the same. When you, for example, cut yourself or when you trip over or somebody, or you break up with your girlfriend slash boyfriend, when that incident happens and the suffering two weeks, a month, a year later is completely different. And so I think a lot of people, when they initially feel that pain, they don't understand that. And when you have this understanding, it gives a great perspective to the suffering. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It reminds me of something I remember seeing. I think it was online somewhere. I can't remember the exact source, but it was think about thing that you are upset about now. And of course, this is something that easily comes to mind. And then think about something that you were upset about one year ago. It's a bit harder to remember what exactly we were upset about a year ago. Things seem more or less okay, usually. And then if you think about things that you were upset about two years ago, three years ago, things you were worried about four or five years ago, well, actually, four or five years ago, I remember stressing out a lot about whether or not I would go to college, where I would go to college, whether or not I could pay for college, things like that. But a lot of times, the things that seem so pressing and urgent and dire in that circumstance to fade away into our memory and it isn't as big of a concern where we get past it. So using that past reflection, we can apply that to our current worries and anxieties and start to understand that ultimately things tend to work out for better or for worse. But we grow through these experiences and we get past them. And after we do that, we look back and we say, that wasn't quite as bad as it was back then. And usually this growth, this healing process might take one year, two years, even 10 years. But like you said, impermanence means that things are always changing, even if that's suffering that is changing. Yeah. Um, I think a, an example that uh, my, the Australian audience might be, resonate with is that in Australia, they sit uh, every year, uh, you 12 students sit this huge exam. It's like 12 hours of exams and they d- decides what university they can go to. Everyone in Australia sits it, or pretty much everyone in Australia sits it. And a lot of these youth really stress themselves out and some even commit suicide and uh, it causes a lot of anxiety. And I think something that I've always told these students is that when you look back, these seem like very easy times because when you go through university and you go through life, you will experience stuff that might be even more harrowing. And so when you use that wisdom and bring it to, to your, your present and you think, and, and, and tell them to think, this is not going to last forever, you're going to get through this, and that in one year's time, in three years' time, you're not going to ever remember 
a lot of youth find comfort in that thought that it's not going to last forever, and in a few years' time, no one's going to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on, I just thought of this. But some of you might be wondering, why is it that we're starting this series on the land and water dharma function on the Four Noble Truths? And to tie this in to the greater theme of this season, I wanted to address this because the entire point of this dharma service is to liberate sentient beings from suffering. It's to benefit all of the people who go and participate in the dharma service. It's to benefit not just them and their families, but to all sentient beings. It summons and calls in all of these realms. And afterwards, it finds a way to benefit them through teaching them the dharma, giving them right understanding, like we were talking about earlier, and bringing them from a state of suffering to a state of peace and bliss. Yeah, and um, I think a lot of people sometimes turn away from these lengthy dharma services, and especially myself, when I was a lot younger, I go, why are we, why are we sitting here? Why are we chanting? Why are we doing all this? But without such fundamental wisdom, like Four Noble Truths, then you don't have the right bedrock and the right foundation to build your your personal development, you don't the right bedrock to build your your liberation and you can't possibly help other people if your own foundations aren't solid. And so while a lot of younger people or even older people may, might not understand the importance of these dharma functions and the wisdom that's contained within them, but they are actually quite important to personal and even interpersonal cultivation. Definitely. And I think, so last time when we did it at Shilai Temple in the U.S., there was an English translation of the liturgy. So I hope that that has made its way to Australia and you'll be able to use it to understand more about the Dharma service in March. But oh, definitely. All of these, yeah, so all of these things, though, all of this working to liberate sentient beings from suffering, that comes out of this framework of the Four Noble Truths because none of us, want to be stuck in a state of suffering. It's a really terrible circumstance. And so, especially in Mahayana Buddhism, we're working to not just liberate ourselves from this condition, but to extend our hands to those in need and pull them out as well and help them reach a state of peace and bliss. Yeah, so I think that links back to right understanding and even right action, because when the Buddha liberated himself, he didn't just leave it at that. He taught the wisdom, he taught the Dharma. And I think uh, if he was leading by example, it's so important that we teach others about this right understanding, this fundamental truth of Buddhism. So, yeah. And so when we liberate ourselves, it's so important that we liberate others because if we don't, we're not, st- we're not holding true to this original intention of the Buddha. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. And the other thing is, is that for me, I feel like we can practice the Four Noble Truths by starting to be aware of them. Notice the times when we feel suffering in our lives, when we feel this discontentment, um, this dissatisfaction, and understand the reasons why they exist. So a lot of times I feel like when I 
before I started learning Buddhism especially, it would be, and I would be upset, say, if I got a really bad score on my test. In that situation, I would really dwell on it. But now, after learning Buddhism, I would look at that and see that it was the product of my own causes and conditions. I didn't study enough. Um, I might not have gotten enough sleep the previous night, and so on and so forth. And I understand that there's a reason why all of this exists. There is the reason why I am in the situation that I am in now. I could have changed it. I didn't change it. This is what I have to face. But then I also look at it as, what can I learn from this experience to prevent that from happening again if I don't want it to happen? Yeah, and that link back to the framework. So when I teach children this concept, it's usually like scrapes and cuts and sickness. And so it's a learning process. So earlier we talked about how the vulnerable truths might seem very bleak, but actually I see them as quite hopeful because it's not just that the life is full of suffering it is that there is suffering and that's that's the, the sad reality of the world but because of this suffering there is so much we can learn um something i always hammer through with kids is that suffering isn't bad suffering is a reality but suffering is a learning opportunity and so um if they scrape their knee, then they don't run around the concrete anymore. If they have brain freeze from eating ice cream too fast, then they don't eat ice cream too fast. If they have got a bad score on their test, then they need to study harder next time. And so each time they experience suffering, I, ha- I, I always drive this point through, is that it is an opportunity to learn. There's an opportunity to gain something. So that because when you lose something in the form of suffering, you gain something in terms of wisdom, in terms of, of doing better next time. Yeah, I really agree with that. And actually, on that note, it was a very good note. I think we can end this episode. We are almost out of time today, but we will be back uh, very soon. So we hope to have regular episodes coming out either once a week or once every two weeks. We'll see how our schedules handle that. But thank you so much for all of your support on Budapod, and thank you for being here with us no um it's an honor to be on this podcast um i'm a little saddened that Catherine is no longer with us but i'm also super happy and super excited for her that she has taken this path in her life i think once she graduates we need to interview her again (laughs) oh definitely yeah (laughs) all right see you all next time see you next time bye